0: I want you to take a second and think back. Try to remember what your life was like one year ago. You were probably going into an office every day, seeing friends at night or on the weekend, going to the movies, going out to eat. Maybe you were traveling to see your family, or making big plans like moving to a new city, getting married, or having a baby it all changed pretty fast. Growing concern about a mysterious,
1: deadly virus. Authorities confirm it is being spread from human to human. Overnight, new confirmed cases of the coronavirus in America. A husband and
0: wife. The COVID-19 pandemic has made the way our lives used to be a distant memory. Stay-at-home orders have turned America's densest and most vibrant cities into virtual ghosts. Theaters are closed. Production of TV shows and
2: movies has ceased. Across the country, at least 21 million kids Now, home from school.
0: Over the last year, bedrooms became offices. Kitchen tables became classrooms. Homes became sanctuaries. At the same time, 10 million people are still out of work. Nearly 30 million have been infected by the coronavirus. And more than half a million have died. In this episode, a cross-section of Life in the Pandemic three Americans share their stories of how they've survived this last year, the toll COVID-19 has taken, and how they feel their lives have changed forever. We're
3: lost in a space-time continuum that's broken, apparently.
2: It has definitely been a journey.
0: In California. One woman, infected very early in the pandemic, is still dealing with the physical and mental scars.
2: I was in a very dark place, if I'm being totally honest. I was waking up anywhere from five to six times a night, just crying.
0: A college grad, laid off at the start of the lockdown, was forced to choose between gas money and food.
1: My lowest point was definitely when I was calling my mom in tears, saying, hey mom, is my bedroom still available?
0: And a parent who had to figure out how to work from home and how to homeschool her daughter.
3: We were struggling to get school together and make sure that I was staying on task and getting my work done. And just feeling at the end of every single day like I was failing on every front.
0: From the PBS NewsHour, this is America Interrupted, the longest year. A four-part series looking at the staggering toll the pandemic has taken on America. I'm Amna Navaz. And this is Episode 2. Let's go back one year to March of 2020. That is when the pandemic for millions of Americans became real. March 12th, 2020. I remember it. I will never forget that day. In Huntington Beach, California, 30-year-old Yvette Paz was feeling the first symptoms of COVID-19. She just didn't know it yet.
2: So I'm at work, and I remember I had a little bit of a cough. And I'm messing with, you know, the other supervisors, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you guys, what if I have COVID? What if I'm like, I, I was I was totally joking about this. And I was like, would you guys visit me at the hospital? Ha ha ha. Little did I know <laughs> that that same night,
0: I would end up at the hospital. On the other side of the country, 23-year-old Trey Burwell wasn't too concerned about the virus either.
1: March 13th, I like, I just I remember driving home from school and thinking, we live in West Virginia, we don't have an international airport, we'll we'll be fine for a while. But on my drive home, uh, I got the phone call from our manager that Governor Jim Justice had canceled schools for the foreseeable future. And and that's when we started, you know, to kind of panic.
0: That same day in Newport News, Virginia, Michelle Canty's thoughts went straight to her eight-year-old daughter, Bella, who was halfway through third grade.
3: By the 13th of March, there's no school. We're working from home. They've canceled all all these things, you know, no dance class, no daycare, no nothing. And it just, it changed so quickly.
0: Like a lot of us, they thought the restrictions might last a few weeks, maybe a few months. But slowly, surely, the reality set in. Everything had changed. Would I have
2: known that all of this would have transpired a year later? I mean, I wouldn't have believed it. If someone were to tell me, I wouldn't
0: believe it. A year ago, 30-year-old Yvette Paz was a healthy, active, single mom and Army veteran. She worked. She took care of her 9-year-old son. She loved to exercise and to meet up with friends. Life was busy, but that's how she liked it. Always on the go. Always on the move. Then, in mid-March, something slowed her down.
2: I remember um, that night, I had had a very strange sensation when I was going to sleep. Um, so the cough was there, but I felt really tired and I had a, all of my muscles were aching. But when I went to lay down, I felt this really weird shortness of breath. That's when I became concerned because I said, OK, well, something's something's definitely different. I've been sick before. I've had the flu.
0: I've you know, had a few different things. But this was different. Just to be safe, Yvette decided to swing by the hospital and see a doctor. So at this point, you're thinking, I'm going to check this out. But have you considered this might be COVID? Yet? No, no way. No way. I'm I'm healthy.
2: I'm young. This is not supposed to affect me. And I just remember when I walked up, um, there's this little white tent, just one tiny little white tent right on the outside of the door. And I kid you not, I was just blown away. I'm like, That's a little dramatic. It looks like a movie, you know, where it's like the (laughs) apocalyptic. Um, So they, you know, run me through some questions and they stick me in this white tent. And
0: I was terrified. The nurses test her for the usual suspects, flu, strep throat, all negative. Then they tell her they've contacted the CDC. And just as a precaution, they're going to test her for COVID. And what goes through your mind at
2: that point? In my mind, I'm just like, okay, that's fine. You guys do whatever you need to do, because I know I'm not positive. Um, But sure, whatever, right?
0: They tell her to go home, isolate for 72 hours. If she tests positive, they say someone will call her. So three days go by, no call. Yvette thinks she's in the clear. She meets up with her mom and her sister. They get their nails done. They have a night out. Then on day four, her phone rings.
2: And they say, we just wanted to call you. We're calling from the CDC, infectious disease specialist. You actually tested positive for COVID. Mind you, I'm sitting next to my 17 year old sister as I'm getting this call. And I just remember my heart just sank to my stomach. At this point, the only images we saw of people with COVID were from Wuhan. I mean, we're seeing people dying, you know? So I'm freaking out now. And I'm like, what do I do? What's gonna happen?
0: And I started that night, everything. as she tries really to sleep, job, Yvette takes a turn for the worse.
2: I, number one, I couldn't breathe, but I got a sensation that I was about to drown in my own lungs. And it felt like my lungs actually locked up. And I came off of the bed. I was on my hands and knees on the floor, holding onto my bed, just trying to, to regain my breath. Um, that scared me. And at that point, that's when I said, OK, you know what? I don't know what this is, but I got to go. Um, And the 16th of March was when I drove myself to the hospital um, and they said, we need to admit you right away, like right now, because not only do you have COVID,
0: but you actually have severe pneumonia and it's killing you. Remember, this is back in March. And in the hospital, Yvette sees firsthand just how much doctors are still learning about the virus at this point.
2: They kept coming to me and they said, we apologize if we seem insensitive, it's just we don't know what we're doing, we're learning from you, so let's work together. They were
0: telling you we don't know what we're doing as we're caring for you? Yes. That must
2: be terrifying to you. Absolutely, and mind you, I can't see their face. on top of everything. Um, But they were very, they weren't saying it in a bad way. They were being completely honest. And they were saying, hey, you know what, if you work with us, this will contribute to anybody who comes after you. So I really took that as a positive thing. Even though it was was scary, um, I was more than willing to work with them.
0: Yvette is alone in a negative pressure room. Before they can go in, doctors and nurses have to suit up with layer after layer of protective gear three days into her hospital stay, Yvette's FaceTiming with a friend.
2: All of a sudden, I locked up. I can't breathe. I start pushing this button, and I'm watching my nurses get up and have to go through this process to get to me. And let me tell you, a couple of minutes felt like forever. That was the one moment in my entire life that I sort of, in my head, I said, this is it. I'm going to die. I still have nightmares about it.
0: After five days, she gets better. She's released from the hospital and she goes home. But the world outside had changed. I came back to my apartment, to my house, and I needed toilet paper, and I kid
2: you not, I could not find this dang toilet paper anywhere. And I walked into the store with this mask on, and I'm just like, I felt like I was in a twilight zone. What is going on? The shelves are empty. You could feel this tension in the air, you know, if if you were coming into an aisle and there was somebody else there, you could just feel this heaviness. People were, they were terrified.
0: Yvette's still dealing with the effects of COVID. She has lung damage that doctors say makes her more prone to pneumonia. She says she still gets tired easily and still has shortness of breath. She's even developed arthritis in her spine, which also might have been caused by COVID-19. But she says what's been even worse is the toll on her mental health. Her anxiety got so bad, she couldn't leave her house for three months.
2: You know, I was crying every single day. Anxiety attacks every single day. The fatigue in itself. I mean, I'd be in bed for three, four days and I couldn't get up and I didn't know why. So I think when you're going through these physical things and you don't understand why and you feel like you don't have control over your body, it just takes such a mental toll on you as a person. I mean, I really felt like an animal with no control. Um, so it was, if I'm being honest, it was devastating. And I think that's why I I had to look for the therapy because it just, it got to the point where I couldn't leave my house. The anxiety to just go outside, I felt like everyone was going to judge me.
0: On top of that, Yvette found herself shunned by those around her. When I
2: did come out of the hospital, I was treated like I was almost a dirty person. You know, nobody would even want to think about coming to my house, let alone, you know, if anybody heard that someone was talking to me, it was like a taboo. Like, oh, no, she's the COVID girl. Are you sure you want to talk to her? You mean among
0: your friends and family, people were treating you like that? Yes.
2: So even my my mom, (laughs) I love her, but she was like, well, we're not going to go anywhere to your house anytime soon. I'm sorry. I don't know if you still have it. I don't know if it's in your clothes or in your furniture or anything. So it was really bad. I mean, you feel like you're dirty. And it was very dehumanizing.
0: Months later, COVID had spread across the country. And while some people, like Yvette, were getting very, very sick, most people weren't. And that led some, even in Yvette's closest circles, to question what she went through.
2: I had some that would start to critique and say, well, were you really sick? Are you sure you weren't just doing it for attention? You know, are you sure? You know, I got it and it wasn't that bad. Even my own family was doing this. My my own." brother, I love my brother, but he, you know, he got COVID and he said, well, the only thing that happened was my back hurt and then I was fine. So how is it that all of that happened to you? And I, I can't answer that. I don't know.
0: I have no idea. What's happening in your family is what's happened across the country, right? Yeah. How do you handle that? With a lot of patience.
2: I just had to say, you know what? 2020 in itself was just a crazy journey for everyone. Everyone is on their own path right now. Emotions are very high. And I can't take these things personal. I know the journey that I've had, and that's it. I just, I I can't take it personally. If I took everything personally, I mean, I would probably lose
0: my mind. Yvette's life was turned upside down when she contracted coronavirus. It wreaked havoc on her body, on her mind, and on her life. She's since found solace, she says, in the support of fellow survivors. But the pandemic didn't just affect those who got sick. It pulled the rug out from under the economy. In April of 2020, the U.S. unemployment rate was the highest it's been since the Great Depression. More than 23 million people were out of work. Trey Burwell was one of them.
1: I was a school photographer going into the pandemic.
0: For him, no schools meant no work. And just barely out of college and newly married, Trey didn't have a lot of options.
1: Up to this point, uh, my income was kind of our, like, our primary income, so um, the paychecks just stopped coming all of a sudden. We weren't planning for it or anything, they just stopped, we didn't have a backup. I was even in conversation with my parents, like, maybe we'll have to move in with you, Uh, maybe we'll have to commute to Charleston from their house about two hours away.
0: Did you have that conversation with them? Yes. What was that like?
1: Uh, It was really difficult because it was not even a year past my graduation, you know, and I feel like I had kind of had a job, and then due to no fault of my own, it was being removed, and, and now I'm being faced with eviction.
0: With no job and no real savings, Trey and his husband Anthony felt the squeeze almost immediately.
1: I would wake up every day and think, can I afford a breakfast today, or should I run in the Dollar Tree and get a box of granola bars to last the week? Um that's the biggest struggle, was not knowing where our food was coming from. But then shortly after that, you, you know, your rent's due. And right after your rent's due, your car payment is due. You know, insurance, all that stuff. It just seemed like it was starting to pile up and that we weren't able to kind of dig out of the pile. The pile just kept piling up.
0: Can I ask you, did you, have you ever in your life had to make those kinds of decisions before any time growing up?
1: No, um... We, we were by no means wealthy growing up, but like my parents, we always had food. There was never a worry about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We had those covered every day. So it was really new for me. It was kind of embarrassing to, on days, be like, mom, could you send me 10 bucks to, to run to the restaurant, you know, to the McDonald's down the street to grab a burger or whatever. It, it took a heavy toll on uh, my, mental, my mental health, I would say, and my confidence, um, and also just Feeling like I was a part of the American system. I stopped feeling like I was... I was more those people that I feel like uh, conservatives like to complain about. I started feeling like the problem.
0: What do you mean you started feeling like the problem?
1: I'm not saying this to like sound prideful or like I even have any pride to defend at all, but I had never been on like government assistance. So I think the moment when I realized that we weren't gonna make it on our own, that I was gonna to have to sign up for unemployment benefits. Um, I remember standing in the DHHR in Charleston. I'm sorry if I tear up, it's kind of emotional.
0: No, no, of course, take your time.
1: I just remember thinking like, am I really here? Like I'm making student loan payments. I, I feel like I've done everything right. I studied through school. I've applied for dozens on dozens of jobs. Like, why am I here?
0: Trey says eventually getting unemployment benefits made a massive difference.
1: It was nice just knowing when I woke up, like, I can run to Walmart and pick up groceries for the week and not have to be concerned about, you know, losing our car or my dog going hungry. It was nice to be able to just go down at the same time as my neighbors and pay rent. Like, it was nice not to have to come up with excuses for our uh, the people we owed bills to, um, about why we couldn't afford to swing it this month.
0: For a few months, Trey held out hope that his job might come back. But by May, he needed to find some work, any work. So he started applying everywhere he could.
1: Target, they weren't really hiring. Hotels in Charleston, I tried to get on as like a front desk or maybe even a maintenance guy I to sign up to drive for like DoorDash. So I, I really was applying for pretty much anything that I felt like I would be able to do.
0: More than 250 job applications in the last year. And how many of those actually led to a next step or a possibility of a job?
1: Um, Embarrassingly, only just a handful. Um, I, I feel like my lack of experience played a huge factor in that. Right now, I'm pretty much, I just have the diploma that says I went to school. I don't have much in the way of work experience. So I feel like that caused me to stumble a lot.
0: The financial strain spilled into his marriage. Trey's husband still had a job, but that single income was stretched thin. And Trey says, at times, it was hard not to feel resentment.
1: At some point when I would wake up and be starving, I I would start thinking about how my husband is at work. And yeah, sure, he's working, but it's not fair that he gets to go and, like, he gets to have Wendy's on his lunch while I'm sitting at home starving. Stuff like that starts building up. And this little rock that you're carrying around becomes a stone and then it's a boulder, and before you know it, you've got really hard feelings towards your husband because you feel like he's doing something that's making your hard situation even harder. And there was a point where we were actually talking about going to the courthouse to pick up the divorce papers because we weren't going to be able to make it work. We couldn't figure out our financial differences, and I, I felt like I couldn't make him see that I had needs too. And he felt like I was um, trying to, to take all the money for myself, to, to, to like trying to get things that I just wanted and not just needed.
0: How long had you guys been married at that point? Um,
1: we just, we met in 2017, um, got married in 2019. we had only been married for probably a year, which is kind of embarrassing to look back on. Um, but at the same time...
0: Why is that embarrassing, though?
1: It just seems like it was a test right at the beginning of our relationship, and we failed. That's what it felt like. Like we were failing.
0: I wonder how you look back on this year. Looking back on what you guys have gone through, how, how are you processing that? Um,
1: It felt like we were just, at, at the whole time, fighting against the odds constantly. Um, and then... You know, when it comes to my my job hunt, my employment, it seemed like it was really a brick wall that I hit and just kind of stopped. So overall, I just see it as probably, it would be best described as just a challenge. It was just like the biggest challenge to pretty much all aspects of my life.
0: (laughs) For Trey, school shuttering nationwide meant he was out of a job. For millions of parents, it meant taking on a new job homeschool teacher. But with virtually no notice and with few resources dedicated to remote learning, making that shift wouldn't be easy. Hey, Michelle. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. That's all I can do, man. Hanging in there. Before the pandemic, Michelle Canty was already working full-time. A single mom to eight-year-old Bella, her days were jam-packed.
3: Getting up in the morning, getting Bella dressed, we go to school, to go to wait the school in school line to drop the kid off, then work I waste eight the time nine time hours, and then get off, go to dance home, class. She has one dance day. class. It's bedtime, I so we bedtime. read, so stories, read stories, we, we come talk, we catch up about the
0: day. Yeah. One big. Just that a that reminder: this was an average day for Michelle. And then we wake up and do it all over again. Then came the lockdowns. Schools closed, and busy days only got busier. It was chaos.
3: It was um. You know, between all that worry and everything, it was trying to figure out, you know, how are we supposed to do this? How do I set up an office and a schoolhouse, basically, in our townhouse? You know, how how do I make this work?
0: And I, I didn't know for a while. Figuring out how to do her job and Bella's school from home was one thing. Figuring out how to cover their rising expenses was another.
3: The grocery cost, the cost for electric, the cost for everything skyrocketed after we came home. And I and I don't mean just, you know, it went through the roof. Groceries, I say groceries two or three times because this child needs to eat three times a day. I, I'm buying food all the time. <laughs> and when you're not going to the grocery store, you're ordering food. And so you're paying delivery fees. And then it's, you know, leave it at the door so we're not seeing each other, no contact. Um, you know, you're waiting for the secret knock on the door. The person, like, knocks on the door and leaves the groceries. And then, like, I, I'm serious. One time I opened the door and the person was running away from the door.
0: Oh, my gosh. And
3: I started laughing, but I couldn't blame them because we didn't know where we were. We didn't know how serious this was and, you know, They didn't know that if I opened the door, I wouldn't be like fire breathing, you know, virus.
0: Bella at this point is just trying to get through third grade. She is a bubbly, happy social kid and class on a computer is zero fun.
1: I get off the Zoom when our morning meeting's done. Then I go on the Zoom. Then I go back on the Zoom for reading. Then I get off the Zoom. Then I go back on the Zoom for math. Then I get off the Zoom then i get on the zoom for history and then and then that's the end of school
0: that's a lot of zooming mhm well what's been your least favorite part of all this do you think
1: being in quarantine is my least favorite
0: cuz you get to yeah. stay
1: at your house you're like man i wish we could i wish me and my friends could hang out today and then you're like and then you just remembered There's not, that's not going to happen because there's quarantine. There's COVID-19 now. You're like, oh, dang it. Now I can't, I just remembered. It's COVID,
3: COVID COVID-19. Just dang it.
0: Days stretch to weeks. Weeks turn to months. Michelle says nothing really gets easier. She just figures out how to make it all work she and her neighbors start helping each other out.
3: We developed a mommy pod and started really working together. And then um, my one neighbor started keeping Bella two days a week so I can start going back into the office. So I have a little bit more normalcy of, of being able to, you know, kind of feel like I'm achieving some things because that was one of the big things at the beginning of the pandemic. I just felt like I was failing on every front. We were struggling to get school together. I was struggling to figure out how to balance school and work and make sure that I was staying on task and getting my work done. And just feeling at the end of every single day that I was not accomplishing anything. And it was a hard and difficult time. But the summer, I felt like we started to like kind of get a rhythm to the day and kind of, you know, get a better schedule down.
0: But just as one pandemic problem gets solved, another one pops up. In the summer, Michelle's worst fears come true. Her family starts to get sick.
3: I get this message, and it's my sister, and she's just like, "Well, you know, these people. In my office, a bunch of people in my office have tested positive for COVID, and I have some symptoms. I'm feeling sick. I'm going to end up going to the doctor. And I'm thinking, you know, regularly she's healthy as a horse. She doesn't have any pre-existing conditions. She'll be fine. And then you get that call that no, it's not fine. she's positive. And my stomach just dropped.
0: And I was terrified. Her first instinct, she says, is to pack a bag and go, to be with her sister. But mid-pandemic, she can't. Michelle is racked with worry.
3: She lost her husband during the pandemic as well and wasn't able to have a funeral for him until August. And then to catch COVID right after that and have a very, not a mild case and not a severe, but somewhere in between there, a case of COVID where she was at home and knocked down for days and days. My heart was breaking being here and not being able to be there for her. And she's younger than me. She's my baby sister.
0: Her sister eventually recovers. But Michelle's worries don't fade away. Day by day, they only seem to grow. You know, one night I was up really late and...
3: I just started kind of wandering around the house like a wreath for a few weeks at night. I would get everything done, the laundry would be done, the house would be clean, and I would just be wandering around because I couldn't sleep. My mind wouldn't shut off. And... Um, what
0: were you thinking about in those moments?
3: I'm worried. Do we have enough money? Or, or, you know, can I, you know, get us make sure that we stay on track with the rent and the bills? And during the summer, the electric bill skyrocketed. Every month, we have blown through the budget for for groceries. And so I want Bella not to worry about these other things. You know, that's my job. I'm the parent. My job is to worry about groceries and rent and lights and making sure we have internet service and all that.
0: Some days, she says, were so bad, she didn't even want to get out of bed.
3: The alarm would go off some morning. I would lay under the covers like, what if I just ignore it? (laughs) I don't get up. My bed's warm. I got nice pillows here. I could stay here. I could stay right where I am. There's no phone here, there's no one calling, but we gotta get up. You gotta keep getting up every day. And just the accomplishment of getting up every day, that's what keeps you going through. You got up, you did it. And that's what I get in the mirror with Bella and I say, we did it girl. We got up this morning. We still look good. You know, I said, what are we gonna do today? We slay. We slay all day because we're big Beyonce fans.
0: I have to ask you, Michelle, you have, you're have you such an optimist. You have such a sunny personality. And even when you talk about hard times, you immediately try to go to what lesson you learned or the good that came out of it. But when you look back over the last year, what have been some of the hardest moments?
3: I do remember one day, it was a bad day. It was a terrible day. We, we woke up late. Um, Bella was grouchy when I tried to get her on the computer. She didn't want to get online. Um, I didn't want to get online, but I had meetings that I needed to do, and we really hit a wall. And she just kind of had a full-on meltdown, like tears and crying, and she couldn't, you know, I I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go to school. I miss my friends. And where's Grandpa? And I want to see Auntie Debbie. I sat there and I started crying too. And I said, you know what, kiddo? Maybe we need a break today. Maybe we need to just sit here and we're gonna sit on the couch and we're gonna watch The Mandalorian, and we'll order some food, and we're just gonna hang out. And that's what we did.
0: At the end of this year, this very long year, what we're left with isn't the same as what we take away. There was struggle and loss, challenge and pain. But everyone we talked to said there was so much more. For Michelle Canty, there was a life lesson in all of this for Bella. celebrated her ninth birthday in lockdown.
3: I think she's learned resilience uh, and that's a powerful lesson um, for seeing the women that she's grown up around, my sisters, myself, um, just being resilient and kind of rolling through the punches and us rolling through the punches with laughter. And I have to say that slowing down a little bit helped us kind of to focus on things that are important, like making sure that we keep that time at the end of the day for her and I to connect, and for me to kind of make sure I have a good pulse on how she's feeling and what's going on with her. So I I can say that I'm grateful for that because it's made me kind of focus on that time because I want to make sure she's doing okay.
0: For Yvette Paz, surviving COVID and being able to somewhat put it in her past has now made her reimagine her future.
2: I think that after COVID, you know, going through all the therapy that I went through, I had to learn to love myself again. I really did. And that was not an easy thing. I had to really look at my life and say, am I happy? Am I happy in the place that I'm at? Before I was just sort of surviving. You know, you go to work, you go to the gym and you're with your child and everything. I was living to survive. For the first time in my life, I feel like I'm living.
0: I'm really living. As for Trey, after a year struggling to find a new job, he finally got one in February, working in social services. It's the field he wanted to be in before the pandemic.
1: I'm trying to see the the positive through the negative. Um, The pandemic took my my study job away, but here at the end, I've just gotten a job. Not that it fell into my lap. I really, I fought my ass off for it. But um, it, it was nice to kind of see myself at the end of this pandemic kind of end up back on track. Even more on track than where I was, you know, to start with.
0: And as for his marriage?
1: We're coming up that mountain out of the valley, but the hardship was a near breaking experience and I don't enjoy it and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But now where we are feels so much stronger. Um, Like, it's almost like we've taken on a beast, you know, send, send your next beast world, we can take on the next one too.
0: In the pandemic, no one has really been spared. Everyone's life has changed in one way or another. But we know that some people have been hit especially hard. Generations of inequity have meant that black and brown Americans are bearing the brunt of this virus. It makes me sad that a
2: pandemic had to happen. George Floyd, had to be murdered for people to realize that this is something that we need to talk about and we need to rectify, I do think more people are talking about it and more people are listening.
0: The pandemic's disproportionate physical, financial, and emotional toll on communities of color. That's on the next episode of America Interrupted, the longest year. This episode was produced by Wan Che, Gretchen Frazy, and Vika Aronson, and edited by Emily Carpeau and Erica R. Hendry. Fact-checking by Maya Linnae Bura and Lorna Baldwin. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our thanks to Travis Daub, Vanessa Dennis, James Williams, and Maura Shannon. Our executive producer is Sarah Just. You can follow all our coverage on air and on our website that's pbs.org/newshour. Thanks for listening.